This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I am Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing two spells. With the careful gaze of the Gregory, we discuss Monty Cook's Design Diary 1 blog post. And then with A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, we talk about the Kickstarter ARG. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. This is Scott talking to you from a different part of the actuality. It turns out that our two segments ran pretty long, and to avoid the precedent of almost hour-long episodes, we've split these two segments into our next two episodes. So in this episode, we will talk about the design diary, and we will reserve the discussion of the ARG to the next episode of our podcast. In the careful gaze of the Gregory, we discuss what we know about Invisible Sun, its setting, and its game mechanics. This week, we discuss the first design diary from Monty Cook on the basic statistics in the game. You can find a link to this blog post in the show notes, but it's also available on Monty Cook Games' website. Interestingly, the blog post actually starts with a discussion of the popularity of what are referred to as big box board games. These are the relatively expensive and uh, component-rich board games that are uh, selling uh, very well right now and are a big part of the renaissance of board games, where you might get a, an $80 or $100 board game with tons of minis and counters and uh, components and such things. And Monty Cook says that that was a bit of an inspiration for him about what form a RPG could could take, and that it need not be limited to the traditional hardcover book with uh, a character sheet uh, on which you write all of your information uh, and uh, those sorts of limitations that are brought to us from an era of printing in the late 70s. So... Um, Dave, what's your, what was your reaction to this to this kind of linkage of the game to big box games? Are are you excited about using tokens instead of uh, writing down hit points on a on a character sheet or the equivalent? Uh, well, I'm going to be running the game, so hey, it's not gonna it's gonna not gonna change my experience. Um, but I don't know. Um, tokens are an interesting idea, uh, and using tokens to track you know the stats and your stat pools like. Yeah, I could see that being all right. Um, I, I guess I'm not. Uh, I don't really have too much of an opinion either way on that one. Um, you know, one of the things that I always ran into uh, is tokens in a game like Magic: The Gathering are easily, you know, scattered and knocked around, uh, which is why we tend to write things down. Um, but hey, when you only have uh, five people sitting around at a table, it, it's kind of nice to have that bookkeeping. You know right there on the table and you don't have to worry about writing in your hit points in this little tiny box or, you know, keeping track of it on some, you know, scrap paper somewhere else. So 
the tokens should be pretty cool. Um, but I, I can give or take tokens, I think. Yeah, I I, uh, I hadn't thought about the asymmetry of, of the effect of this on players versus GMs. If the distribution of, of work uh, across those is similar to the Cypher system, where the GM's still going to have to track whatever the equivalent of hit points is, um, it's the players that are really going to experience the tokens. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if the scale of the tokens is kept around what it, the examples were used in the blog post, like having five or seven or 11 tokens of a, a, a specific kind, um, that seems like it'll be uh, easily manageable, but it could uh, get un- unwieldy if you do get into piles and piles of tokens. But uh, I, I, yeah. we don't really know enough about how the system scales, to whether that will be an issue or not. Yeah, if we're we're looking at you know handfuls of dice like you do in Shadowrun, uh, then that's too many tokens. But yeah, if it's just a handful of tokens um, and it does make tracking that stuff more convenient, then that sounds great. Uh, I am sure that the tokens will be interesting to look at at least. So yeah, that should be cool. Every indication is they will be. And if not, uh, I've used tokens actually for my Cypher System games sometimes. Uh, I've had players who who really like just cheap beads you can get at uh, hobby stores or uh, craft stores that are sometimes used to fill in bowls for decorative items and things like that. You can get them by the Mm -hmm. fistful inexpensively in a zillion different colors. Uh, Those have have worked pretty well for Cypher System. It it, it adds this level of physicality to actually giving up and spending your points as well as a visual reference as to where you are uh, in your pool and how much you've spent and how much is uh, how much you could recover and and, and that in, had a, a nice element to, uh, in the game that, that I did enjoy so uh, I'm I'm thinking it'll have a similar effect here. Yeah, that sounds all right. Like a pretty good use for it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see, you know, just how much it saves on your bookkeeping. Right. Yeah, and I'm also curious whether this will we'll just have to fall back on a more traditional style uh, for those of us who play predominantly online. Mm, yeah, uh, you'll the, probably have to do that. The app may include something that's like tokens, so that if you your character sheet actually tracks actively your um, you know your different pools, uh, then there may be an equivalent to the token economy uh, in the in the app. But we know next to nothing about the app other than it will exist. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to wait to find out more about that. But if we have to fall back on using a more traditional recording mechanism, that's that's fine too. Just writing down the number of pools and a point or points in a pool, uh, I do that through my Roll Twenty games and Cipher all the time, uh, and it really isn't much of a problem. And I, I can't imagine it'll be worse uh, than uh, than it, it, it moving to these other pools uh, in the Invisible Sun. I think it'd be a very similar experience. Um, so he does say that uh, the tracking stats is going to be done with tokens he then uh monty says in the blog post that in pandemic you don't track keep track of outbreaks by taking notes you just you know uh track it with a token on a on a track on the board Mm -hmm. so if you're moving a token around on a board uh rather than you know collecting a pool of tokens i think i might be more in favor of something like that uh, because if you have a handful of tokens, it's kind of hard to get a, it's not hard. It's just, you know, it takes some time to say, how how many tokens do I actually have here? Do I have, you know, six tokens? Do I have seven? Do I have 11 tokens? Uh, so if you're just moving, you know, something on a track to keep, uh, keep track of it, I could see that being a little bit easier. And I might, I might appreciate that a little bit more. 
Yeah, I think that would be easy, but it also would sacrifice this notion of, of the kind of the physicality of giving up points and the having mm-hmm. a a physical pool of points to draw from. It's not clear. It's probably the, the, it'll probably be a mixed version of this, where some of the resources are kept pandemic style with a tracker, uh, and others with an actual pool. Uh, of the, the the tracker will be very easy to represent online. So we'll have to see how those different approaches are used. But I, I got the sense that he really liked the physical act of having a pool and spending points that is uh, that may be reflected somewhat in moving up and down a track, but not uh, not fully, uh, but more so than just erasing a number on a, on a page and writing in a new number, which is what, you know, kind of a traditional way of tracking hit points or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are we tracking? <laughs> well, he, he also does talk about the stats uh, that will be included, and uh, they have been discussed at various points in the, in the Kickstarter. There's a little more detail here than I recall, at least. Like the cipher system, this, the stats are intended as resources. So having a value in the having value or points in that stat is going to both represent your abilities, but also be a resource you can spend to uh, modify the uh, your success, say your roles. Uh, in relation to the specific skills, so there's three types of of stats he talks about. Two of which are of are similar. So we'll talk about those first. Uh, I'm I'm sure there will be some discussion of whether how this is pronounced, but certes, C E R T E S, uh, certs or certes. I I don't know what the proper yeah, pronunciation is. I was saying certus in my head, but or cert. All of these seem valid to me. <laughs> I don't know what the what the answer is. Uh, this represents. Uh, physical skills, uh, and in, in fact has sub-skills named for movement, combat, and physicality. So you have a general uh, skill or um, ability in, in your interaction with the physical world, uh, and then you would then specialize within that, se- sub- or within that skill to being very good at movement, combat, or physicality. Uh, in fact, the way he describes the stats, you'll, you, your character creation process will give you a number. It'll say your, your Certa's skill is you know, eight points uh, or whatever it may be. And then you take those eight points and you allocate them across those three sub-skill categories, which could leave you balanced or unbalanced based upon how you want to focus your character. So it's, it's a little different than Cypher System, but I think uh, it, it's, it'll come naturally to people from the Cypher System who are used to thinking of pools. It's just mm-hmm. now there's a physical pool with three sub-pools uh, rather than the three, sub, uh, the three pools that we have uh, in the Cypher System uh, itself. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if uh, Certus and Qualia are... Wait, did we talk about Qualia? We're about to get to Qualia. <laughs> okay, sorry, I spoiled it. Um, but I'm curious to see if if those uh, stat pools are going to function, you know, as your I guess hit points in the same way that the cipher system stat pools function as your hit points. That's that is an interesting question. Uh, it, you know, we we just don't know. Uh, it might not even have a hit point system in any recognizable way. Uh, so. We we just don't know, but it would be a natural translation from the cipher system to use this as, if not something that when lost indicates death um, mm-hmm. or loss of character, it, it may indicate maybe lack of access to the actuality, that when you lose these points, you get pulled back into the mundane world. The second 
stat discussed in the blog post is qualia the aforementioned oh, oh before qualia. that i'm sorry before before we get into qualia um yes. there was something you had mentioned that uh i i wanted to to bring up character death i think that's something oh. we should talk about at some point okay yeah i i'd mentioned right before um the break which may or may not be obvious to the listener <laughs> The cat running around in my in my office. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Uh, I think it's the right choice um, that the, the the depletion of the pools may represent the, uh, the the inability of characters to access the actuality. And so it may not mm-hmm. be death in a traditional sense, but just being pulled back into the uh, mundane world. Uh, there was also uh, something that they mentioned in some of the articles. I think it's gold that you go to. Gold is like the uh, afterlife, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, or else you can just hang out as a ghost. So we should talk about character death at some point. Um, yes. Once uh, I'm not sure I know enough about it to sustain a conversation. It would be a very long segment of five minutes of us going, well, there's two times this word appeared. <laughs> and the rest is guessing. Which I mean, even more guessing than we usually have. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that, may, that may come out, come out soon. Uh, yeah, so sorry about the derail. Let's let's yeah. talk about stats. So the second stat is qualia, uh, and there's some there, there's more consensus on how to pronounce that than than certus or certs or whatever it is. Uh, qualia represents intellectual and uh, uh, social and charisma uh, sorts of capacities. So the sub-skills for qualia include interaction, which I, I assume is going to be social interaction, uh, knowledge, sorcery, and sortilage. It's interesting that there's four of these where there were three under Certus, uh, suggesting you'll have to divide your pool further under qualia than you would under Certus. Uh, uh, or perhaps you get more in qualia for being a Vizlay. Uh, it may. You may get just a straight-up bonus. Uh, though... Um, these are also a little bit different. Uh, in particular, Sortilage is strikes me as something a bit different than the other subcategories, whereas I can think of direct correspondences that interactions a lot like we might usually think of charisma in Dungeons & Dragons or mm-hmm. uh, you know, social skills and knowledge is, well, knowledge in a lot of systems and, sort, and those sorts of skills. Sorcery gives you, you know, I think we can figure out that it's probably has something to do with casting spells uh, through whatever school you're in. Sortilage is specifically a term associated with drawing uh, or, or reading the future or predicting the future based upon random draws from some object, such as drawing drawing a tarot card and reading it, or um, hmm. other forms of of the um, you know of, of trying to predict the future. So that's so much more narrow than the other three that I, yeah. I I'm I'm wondering if it is in fact this the same type of subskill as the other subskills. And that might explain why there's four of them. Uh, it, does the article touch on Sortilage at all? It just names it. Uh, I had to go okay. look up elsewhere what Sortilage was. <laughs> sure. But it was listed as one of the subskills of Qualia. And given the importance of the Sooth deck uh, in the game itself, I suspect that skill is going to interact directly with the Sooth deck. Yeah. Um, so at this point in the article, it also talks about how, uh, those counters that you've divided up, you are going to place those tokens in those pools. So it looks like it's not a track, like I was thinking it might be, um, 
but yeah, it looks like uh, they're designing for you know pools of counters at this point. Yeah, it it, it might suggest they would either are going to surprise us later, or uh, will consider putting together a. Uh, uh, a, a pad for characters or for players, I mean, so that you have you could you, where the pools are already drawn into the pad itself, which would be a nice little uh, play aid uh, for the game. If you know that play, that characters are going to have these pools and mm-hmm. that they'll want to stack a bunch of tokens on them, then giving them a play mat might be a fun uh, way to go. Uh, and it corresponds again with with some of the of what's going on in board games now. Um, and yeah. how people are, are changing the sort of user interface of board games, given the increased complexity of some of these big box games. Uh, and that com- and a, a statement soon after the discussion of qualia also uh, connects to this notion of complexity, that bonuses uh, under a system that uses these tokens as a resource are might be easier to follow because you don't have to worry about your magic list of, of uh, bonus types Mm-hmm. Instead, if you get a bonus from something, you're getting a bonus of a particular color, of a particular token, and rules on how you can use that token. Uh, this made me think of the dark days, um, or at least in terms of complexity, of trying to remember what the different types of bonuses were in uh, 3, 3, 5, Pathfinder era Dungeons and & Dragons, <laughs> and what an untyped bonus was versus a typed bonus, and which ones stacked and which ones did not stack. Dude, I totally blocked all that stuff. I forgot there were <laughs> typed and untyped bonuses, but yeah, now I remember that. Yeah, and actually, there, I was just on G Plus uh, today talking about this with someone for the Cipher system, where the question was uh, if a description includes a reduction in the difficulty, uh, it does that count as an asset um, towards the cap of reducing difficulty by no more than two due to assets, and which is effectively the question is, is this bonus an asset type or is it untyped? Uh, I was in the untyped uh, camp answering that question, uh, but it is a similar sort of question. And if mm-hmm. indeed tokens have colors uh, and those bonuses then will be you know, a blue token or whatever it may be, uh, that does make it easier to figure out when, what can you add together and what can you not add together or what does it mean when you throw these blue tokens in with your your pile of red tokens it might be easier unless they uh and i don't think they will after their experiences with 3o uh have a type bloat and have tons of different types of tokens that are all different types of bonuses i don't get the sense that's where this is going yeah i don't get that sense either um and the the case here is that you get uh they have an example here that Oh, a spell's been cast upon you that's impeding your combat ability. And it's it puts three negative counters in your pool, which are a different color. And the example continues and says that the next three times you take an attack action, you're going to suffer a penalty. So it sounds like you would take one of those uh, differently colored tokens out of the pool. Uh, and you know how long you're going to be impeded because of them. Uh, but you can also spend your normal points from your pool... So it looks like maybe the beneficial counters that you would get from a, a helpful spell, maybe they're not a different color. Maybe they're just additional points in your pool, and you can only spend a certain number of points, just like you can only spend a certain level of effort in the cipher system. Yeah, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking that's, that is the direction I sense that this is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would make 
I, I really like what this does for durations of spells. Yes, that, this you know, part is hard. really great. <laughs> yeah, just as hard as keeping track of, of the types of bonuses is figuring out how many rounds ago you cast haste. Um, and trying to figure out exactly whether that spell or, or, or that curse is still active or not. And that almost always gets lost uh, in a fight until people are like, eh, let's let's assume that's expired by now or OK, fine. I don't know. Let's give it one more round. The use of the physical tokens uh, makes it much easier to keep track because they it's in some sense self-tracking. Uh, and rather than trying to go off of a, uh, a rigid time uh, mechanic, which seems antithetical to the tone of the game, where they seem to be trying to move away from these sorts of systems more towards more narrative uh, and easier to track systems. Yeah, I, I really like this negative counter thing adding to your pool. Like that, that seems really cool. I like that a lot. And it opens up design space. We'll have to see exactly how much design space it opens. But now if bonuses can result in you know different types, uh, that may just provide a bunch of different things that spells can do, uh, but also different attacks that monsters can have um, or that traps can have or whatever it is that, that, you're, that you're dealing with. But we'll have to see uh, how all of this works, but it seems promising that it, it might add some complexity, but a manageable level of complexity that is interesting rather than frustrating. Mm-hmm. The last of the stats is a, a different type of, of stat uh, that's still a little vague, uh, referred to as hidden knowledge. Um, I'm reminded of one of my uh, pet peeves from the Brian Michael Mendes era of, uh, let's see, House of M, where they introduced, where he introduced a character whose power was she knows stuff. Good. Um, yeah, that that uh, was deeply satisfying. Uh, well, your characters know stuff. Now, the intent here is that characters only slowly, not through the same processes that they would gain Certus or Qualia, but through some mechanisms might gain hidden knowledge over time that they can use to their advantage in a variety of situations. And that hidden knowledge is a resource that can be collected and spent. But the emphasis is on the narrative use of this knowledge. So rather than staying in the Bendisian realm of knowing stuff, uh, once that resource is spent, you translate the resource into something meaningful, meaningful within the narrative of the game. So you might say, oh, um, well, this key look or this lock looks really complicated. Um, however, I happen to have some hidden knowledge. So I will spend hidden knowledge uh, to suggest that I've read about this type of lock somewhere. Uh, and as you know, it is in fact designed by this particular person using this arcane technique of lock design. And given this knowledge, I know that it's particularly vulnerable to this particular technique for picking this lock. Uh, and so yet you translate this hidden knowledge into something useful within, within the fiction of the game itself. So while it is a resource that can be accumulated and spent, it's a very different type of resource than Certus and Qualia and is intended to be uh, narratively focused. I, I do like putting in a stat that encourages players to you know take more control of the narrative. Like, I'm looking forward to, I guess, kind of offloading that responsibility to them a little bit. The closest analogy I could think of uh, was in the RPG Knights Black Agents. There is a stat called preparedness. Mm -hmm. 
where they wanted to get away from spending an hour at the beginning of every session where your characters are buying equipment just in case they need it. Because the last thing they want to know, want to do is get halfway through the Tomb of Horrors and realizes realize they really wish they had a ten foot pole. Why would you go um, into the Tomb of Horrors without one? I would say as if they would get that far without a ten foot pole. <laughs> but whatever the equivalent particular mundane item was, um, and that could really hold up the game as people are are trying to figure out what have I missed? You know, oh wait, wait, I need a wax candle. So to get rid of all of that in a game that is supposed to simulate uh, kind of spy fiction in part, and thus is supposed to have a, um, you know, where tech really matters. Uh, instead, they just have a stat for characters called preparedness. Mm-hmm. And you can spend preparedness to say, oh, good thing I brought this sniper rifle. Um, or the equivalent within a, a fantasy dungeon crawl would be, good thing I brought the wax candle. You didn't have to spend an hour going through the list of all the mundane items and spending your copper points on all of this stuff just in case you need it. You instead have those points representing all of the work you did kind of outside of the game that you can then invoke and refer to in the fiction itself. And I think that's kind of how this will play out. That, you know, again, it, it, the, the resource itself doesn't have any meaning. But you introduce the meaning when you evoke it in the game. And I, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a great mechanic. Uh, and it'll be really handy um, in a game focused so much on secrets. Uh, there's another system that has a similar mechanic, and that's the uh, Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG. Mm-hmm. They have the destiny points. Uh, and the way we use them is you can flip them to just sort of you know, change the narrative a little bit, uh, you know, put something in there. A lot of times it's, oh, hey, I did pack the uh, thermal detonator. You know, I may not have mentioned it before, but I totally did it. Um, like one of the things we used it for was uh, we were robbing all of the food rations from this guy who was a, a real jerk and we didn't like him. Uh, so when we broke into his back room where he stored all of the food rations, uh, the GM laid out the scene and said, hey, there's the safe and it's full of these rations, but there's too many to carry. So we flipped a destiny point and said, well, obviously there is a large box next to the safe that we can load like most of it into. So that's kind of what I'm looking for with this hidden knowledge. Like, hey, let's change the narrative a little and you know, give the players you know, a bit of an advantage in certain situations. So I'm excited to see how this increases the influence that players can have uh, in the narrative of the game uh, and just take a little more of the burden off of the the GM uh, and still fit the theme so well as Mm -hmm. of having uh, character success determined in part by all of the stuff that they learned before, all of this hidden knowledge that's in the background of their character. Yeah, uh, super exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to getting more more tokens and stuff in the box. So that's neat. Yes. I think they also announced that there would, this shift to a token based approach uh, means that they're going to give us more tokens than they promised. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled beyond from Wes Otis and plate mail games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com. You can find me at drscottrobinson on Twitter.
And you can find me at Tex underscore red on Twitter. So, hey, if you like what you hear, leave us a rating uh, and a review on iTunes. We hear that's uh, really helpful for people to find our show. Uh, another good way to help us out is to tell a friend about the show and tell them you know, how to find us and where to listen to it. Um, another thing we should probably mention in this outro is that we are going to be guests on the next episode of the Cyphercaster. Absolutely. Watch for us. Is it the Cyphercaster? What's their podcast called? I believe it is the Cyphercast. That's right. I was mixing it up. The Cyphercaster is the magazine. Um, but yeah, we, we got to guest on the Cyphercast and that was a lot of fun and it was, you know, really cool to, you know, hang out with another podcast and talk about Invisible Sun and, you know, just be able to, you know, listen in on what they talk about. And, and if you haven't got enough from us, from the podcast itself, also check our blog because in addition to the show notes, uh, in the weeks we're not releasing episodes, we're trying to fill in some uh, other material with just blog posts especially uh, where we can investigate topics that are more visual and thus poorly suited for a podcast environment. So you can get your incantations uh, fix in even in weeks when we don't have a podcast to release. Yeah, so thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in two weeks.